0: Into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and what a win over the Seattle Seahawks yesterday at Levi Stadium. Five consecutive victories over the Pete Carroll led Seattle Seahawks. The second consecutive season with the sweep against those Seahawks and San Francisco pushed the Seattle Seahawks to their fourth consecutive loss. The first time in the Pete Carroll era for the Seattle Seahawks. Welcome into the podcast. What a great victory Monday this is. And it's not just because you beat Seattle for the second time this year. It's not because you swept them for the second time in this many seasons. But it's because the San Francisco 49ers are right now the number one seed in the NFC conference. Let's just soak that in. It just took two weeks' time to climb our way all the way back. The Philadelphia Eagles look like they got their wings clipped now, albeit they're still 10-3, and three, just like us. But right now, as of 10.02 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in Pittsburgh, California, on the West Coast in the Bay Area, the San Francisco 49ers are your number one seeded team in the NFC. And it all started because San Francisco took it to Philadelphia and Philadelphia and took care of business yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks, 28-16. And this game, coming in, you had to wonder, was there going to be an emotional letdown? I didn't think there was going to be too much of that, simply because San Francisco knew if they won yesterday, they were going to put the ball in Philadelphia's court to win their game. If they didn't, which is what happened, they'd be the number one seed. But from the get-go, in fact, from the very first play of the game for the offense, <laughs> Brock Purdy and their offense, he hands them all to Chris McCaffrey. I'm thinking, what, here's a six-yard run, going to go on to the next play. No, no, Chris McCaffrey breaks a 72-yard run, and had Brandon Ayuk just secured that block for two more seconds... It would have been a 75-yard touchdown run to start that game off right. Jordan Mason ends up capping off the drive with his first rushing touchdown of the year, I believe, if not his first, his second. Two plays, 75 yards, and San Francisco already on the board against the Seattle Seahawks, who, when the game started, we learned that Drew Locke was going to start over Geno Smith because Geno Smith has a groin injury, and they're saying, well, wait a minute here. We likely know we're not going to beat San Francisco. We need Gino ready for Philadelphia in two weeks time. Now, this Sunday, as my doorbell rings, how about that? <laughs> that is the Seahawks getting a wake up call saying, hey, our season's on the line, folks. Drew Locke save us. He couldn't get it done. I just felt like an overall uh, I knew coming in. This game was going to be a lot tougher than people thought it was going to be. I knew coming in that um people saying 31 to 13, people saying 31 to 10, that didn't sit right with me, knowing what the Seahawks had on the line. Uh, Seattle's now six and seven. I believe they've lost four games in a row. And they're kind of at a point where they're so far behind the Rams now, which the Rams have the tiebreaker over them. They're behind the Niners now, obviously. And they've lost four of their first five NFC West games having only beaten the Cardinals once. Seattle's season, by all intents and purposes, kind of feels like it's over. Um, With the Rams having the edge over them with the tiebreaker and the wild card seeding, it kind of feels like San Francisco, having knocked off Seattle twice, has not only stolen the one seed back from Philadelphia but has effectively ended the Seahawks' season, or at least pushed them so far down the rankings where it feels like they're going to have to fight and claw their way back, uh, unlike DK Metcalf yesterday. Uh, but what a great game for San Francisco. And I'll just say this, because this game was 14-10 to 10 for a large portion of the game, where the offenses were trading 3 and now It felt like, okay, the last team that's going to score is going to win this game. Now, that ended up being San Francisco and they won by 12 but even when it was 14 to 10 I I wasn't worried even when Seattle answered San Francisco's first drive score with the first drive score of their own in which Mooney Ward gets her on the first play Hargreave eventually gets hurt later in the game Dre Greenlaw gets her in this game it felt like every single blow San Francisco took or every single successful drive the Seahawks had I I wasn't worried. There was never fear of like, oh, this could be a trap game. It was like, no, like, they're going to fight, but San Francisco was going to have an answer. Um, it also felt like, again, when it was 14-10, to 10, when it was a one-score game, even when George Kittle catches a 44-yard touchdown pass, then Seattle pulls a San Francisco, pulls a Kyle Shanahan, does the fake screen to a running back, then hits the tight end up the middle for a touchdown themselves, there still wasn't a worry. There still wasn't fear of like, oh, Seattle's coming back, or oh, they had momentum. It was like, okay, like, wow, you're still behind us. Look at the scoreboard. It felt like there was a gigantic chasm in between both these teams where the score being only a 12-point game really doesn't signify exactly how great of an offense performance this was by the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, you look at the box score, and... Christian, or excuse me, Brock Purdy goes 19 for 27, has a career high, 368 yards, and had Brandon Ayuk not fumbled the ball. He probably has 370 plus yards through the air, if not a third touchdown pass on the day, maybe. I mean, this, Brock Purdy was awesome. Brock Purdy arguably had one of his best passing days of the entire season. Averaged nearly 14 yards per attempt, was perfect on throws, 16 plus yards downfield. His air yards in this game, which we'll get into the dink and dunk theory around him, which he disproved. 10 and a half air yards per throw. Two touchdowns, one pick, which the interception wasn't even technically his fault. Looking at you, Brandon Ayuk again on miscommunication. And I believe Brock Purdy has seven consecutive games this season. Seven consecutive games where he has a 70% completion percentage, one game behind the GOAT, or one of the GOATs, the greatest quarterback in Niners history, Joe Montana. I hate comparing people to Joe Montana because he is, again, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, probably number two behind Tom Brady. What Brock Purdy is doing is historical. We are watching history unfold, not just with Brock Purdy, but with Chris McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. This offense, I believe, is a top five offense per DVOA of all time currently. All time currently. Let that sink in. All time currently. We're watching a top five offense all time, led by Brock Purdy. But even more so, Christian McCaffrey doesn't get into the end zone, doesn't inch closer to breaking Jerry Rice's single-season franchise record in touchdowns, but 16 carries, had a total of 17 touches, has over 150 yards on the day, averages nine yards a pop, has that team-long 72-yard rush that gets them in, what, within the two-yard line of Seattle on the opening drive of the game. Debo Samuel, seven catches, 149 yards, two touchdowns on the day. His 54-yard play, the second longest play of the day for San Francisco, Debo Samuel has five touchdowns In his last three games, in fact, the past two days, past two games, Philadelphia and Seattle, Debo Samuel has, (laughs) this is a crazy thing to think about, Debo Samuel has one rushing and one receiving touchdown in each of the last two games. Five touchdowns the last two weeks, and since week number 11, He leads the entire NFL with 407 receiving yards and has six total touchdowns. We're witnessing the return of all-pro Debo Samuel. We're witnessing the return of one of the best weapons, best players in the league. And I don't like using the term unicorn too much because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, a unicorn, and Josh Allen, and Tyreek Hill, and Miles Garrett, they're all unicorns, right? And... In fact, not all of them are. Some of them certainly are, but Mahomes is much more like Aaron Rodgers than I think we like to admit. Now, Mahomes is doing his own thing out there in KC, Uh, also complaining to refs, ironically, but doing his own thing. Miles Garrett looks like Reggie White 2.0. Like I think the term unicorn gets thrown around too much, Uh, but Debo Samuel, we have seen other teams try to mimic what San Francisco does with him. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Kadarius Toney, even gave Tony Debo Samuels' number, hoping he would embrace that role. And Kadarius Tony is one of the most laughably dumb players in the entire league. He's not that physical, and he can't do what Debo does. The Giants, who drafted Tony, then traded him away, tried to replace him with Wandale Robinson, and he's done nothing for them because there's nobody else like Debo Samuel. When you speak of the most dynamic, physically gifted, and just unique kind of players in the entire NFL when it comes to receivers, you have your Tyreek Hill, your Elite Speed, the Cheetah, one of the most impressive human specimens when it comes to start and stop we've ever seen in the entire NFL. Then you have Debo Samuel next to him, who, yes, maybe isn't the fastest man because Well, he doesn't have Tyreek Hill-like speed, but the combination of speed and physicality to put him in the backfield, to put him out wide, to put him on end-arounds and screens and still also have him go deep and outrun Jamal Adams for 54 yards. There's nobody else like Debo Samuel in the entire league. There's a reason why the price tag next to his name was so high after 2021. You put Debo on any other team... He is their receiver number one, now that's what he is here, but he also is going to have over a 1,000 yards every year. They're going to run him into the ground knowing how important he is for the offense. Now, in San Francisco, he has the luxury to not be utilized that way. He can be utilized sparingly, but also so effective that he touched the ball a total of 10 times yesterday, and he averaged over 20 yards a touch. Deebo Samuel touched the ball eight times on nine targets, 21.3 yards in attempt. Uh, Almost 100, a total of 150 yards on the entire day. What Debo Samuel has done the past three weeks has been what you would say if he did the entire year would be Offensive Player of the Year caliber. Now, he's not going to get the award, nor should he, but when you get that spark... When you don't have that Debo Samuel, the impact he has, the energy he brings, and the play on the field he has shown, you are essentially losing when he's not on the field an Offensive Player of the Year caliber player. The most, or the second most dynamic wide receiver in the entire league. I mean, this Niners offense essentially is an entire Swiss Army knife. Chris McCaffrey, out wide, in the slot, in the backfield, Debo, Utilizing can be the exact same way. Kittle can be a blocker, he can be in the slot, he can be the inline tight end. Then you have Ayuk just dicing up folks on the outside. This Niners offense essentially is the most versatile offense in the entire NFL, and and the way they space their targets out. Let me get the stat up here, but what they have done offensively, what they've been able to do to not make their offense so one-dimensional... hear this. Brandon Ayuk has 56 catches this year for over 1,000 yards and six touchdowns. George Kittle, 53 catches, 811 yards, six touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, a running back, 52 catches, 437 yards and five touchdowns. And Debo Samuel just through the air, 45 receptions, 739 yards and four touchdowns combined. Those four players have 206 receptions, over 3,000 receiving yards, and 21 total touchdowns. When you speak of explosive offenses, when you speak of well rounded offenses, there's only one team that comes to mind. It is the San Francisco 49ers. They have so many weapons, yet use them and they pass the ball so effectively to all of them, where every single game somebody else is going to beat you. No defense can scheme for the Niners' offense. It's too it's almost impossible because, oh well, double team Debo Samuel. Well, that leaves Kittle open. Well, double team Kittle. That leaves Ayuk open. That leaves Chris McCaffrey open. It feels like no matter how the defense schemes for them, you can't blitz Brock Purdy. You can't play man coverage against him. You can't play zone against him. Defenses simply do not have an answer. And when you play a team like Seattle, who, to give them credit, they played well in the first half. I, I was rather impressed by them, at least offensively. They had Kenneth Walker back, Zach Charbonnet's in the fold again. They had a chance to come in here with 10 days off to make a statement. Now, you don't have your quarterback, and I get that, but they were in this game for a large portion of it, but even then, even when it was only a four-point game, it was like, this game is over. This game feels like it's not going to be had, or it's up in the air for grabs. It felt like that we're just waiting for San Francisco's offense to explode, and You get the running game going, like George Kittle said, like Fred Warner said, you give us 72 rushing yards on one play to open the entire game, it's over. The minute that Chris McCaffrey broke that 72-yard run, they didn't even score on the play. I said, it's done. It's over. What a way to start. What a statement to make coming off an emotional win where you had to have it in Philadelphia if you wanted the number one seed was there going to be a letdown? Are they going to play down to Seattle? Is there worry of a trap game? First play of the game, they put all of that to rest. 72 yards, bang, from the bat. You had Ayuka out there blocking. You had Debo blocking. You had Kittle and Trent Williams blocking. It felt like from the jump, from that first play, they put any concern, any worry to bed. Now, the defense, though. And we'll get back to the offense in a second, but the defense in this game coming in already knew they were not going to have Eric Armstead. I thought that was going to be a massive loss for them. I thought that was going to, like, you have to ask the question, is it going to be a Javon Kinlaw day? Is it going to be a Kevin Givens day? I lean towards starting Kevin Givens, but I want to give Javon Kinlaw his flowers three total tackles a half a sack i believe he has two and a half sacks the past two games one tackle for loss one quarterback hit he was awesome in this game and even then his stats this year i want to compare his first three years in the league to his stats this year in 2020 through 2022 javon kinlaw played 939 snaps had 30 total pressures, one and a half sacks, and just four pass breakups. I believe he also had one interception in that time. This year alone, in nearly one-third of the snaps, from 939 snaps through three seasons to 319 snaps this year, Javon Kinlaw already has 27 pressures, two and a half sacks, three pass breakups, and a 76.3 pass rush grade. We're not getting elite Javon Kinlaw, no one's saying that. We are getting an actual healthy, useful, impressive Javon Kinlaw that can, in a spot start, hold a team like Seattle to under 100 yards rushing. In fact, this continues to push the narrative against Seattle in all of their seven losses this year, Seattle has totaled under 100 rushing yards. In a game where they have Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker back, their, two, their, their one-two punch running backs, Charbonnet, nine carries, 44 yards. Kenneth Walker the third, eight carries, 21 yards. The longest play of the day for the ground attack for the Seahawks was 23 yards. They scored 16 total points. If Seattle cannot run, they cannot win. And for a player in a defense that, again, did lose Eric Armstead prior to this game, lost Mooney Ward in the first drive of this game, lost Javon Hargrave in the third quarter of this game, he didn't come back, lost Ray Greenlaw for a handful of plays in the fourth quarter, he did come back. This defense was, dare I say, hampered. They were limited in certain aspects, and Javon Kinlaw and others stepped up. One of the main ones was Diamador Lenore in this game. When you lose your number one cornerback, the guy who locked down DK Netcalf two weeks ago on Thanksgiving night in Seattle at Lumen Field, shut him down, frustrated him completely, you lose him on the first drive of the game, and you're like, oh, crap. Now who's playing nickel? Who's playing outside? They move Lenore back outside to a place where he struggled earlier this year, Moved him back outside, brought Samuel Womack and Isaiah Oliver back on the field, which they had benched Oliver coming out of the bye week. So then it was Lenore on the outside again, Oliver back at the nickel, and Ambry Thomas on the outside. After that first drive in which DK Metcalf had two catches, including, I believe, a 31 yard touchdown catch uh, over Ambry Thomas, which wasn't even bad coverage, mind you, they said Hey, Lenore, you are going to be tasked with guarding D.K. Metcalf. After that, Diomedo Lenore essentially locked down D.K. Metcalf all game. All game. The Hyena, as he calls himself, D.K. Metcalf didn't catch another ball the rest of the game. After the first quarter, in which they then told Lenore, You are going to shadow Metcalf the rest of the game He was a non-factor. San Francisco essentially has two cornerbacks this year, Mooney Ward and Lenore, that have taken DK Metcalf, their best offensive player, out of the entire game. Two cornerbacks. And and if you told me Lenore, who I believe is like 5'10", maybe, maybe 5'10", probably more more around 5'8", 5'9". He's locking down 6'4", 6'3", DK Metcalf, who is a physical, rotted out specimen. He's like the steroid-era version of Dennis Rodman. He's so big. Poor loser, mind you, but got locked down. Lenore, in this game, had an 86.3 PFF cover grade, the highest on the entire team, only allowed 10 yards On five targets, forced two incompletions, had two pass breakups, and a 47.9 passer rating against him. Now, keep in mind, had Nick Bosa not jumped off sides, he also has a pick while guarding DK Metcalf. How impressive is that to know that when your top cornerback goes out, you now have somebody else behind him? with the confidence, that can meet that challenge. I guarantee you the moment Steve Oakes walked up to to, to to Demo and said, hey, we need John Metcalf, can you do it? He said, yes, I can, coach, and he met the challenge. It's hard to be a small cornerback playing against a six-figure receiver who has like four or five inches on you. At that point, just throw it up, Drew Locke. You got a chance. Lenore met that challenge head-on and stopped, erased DK Metcalf from this game can't forget to mention players like Nick Bosa who he got himself one and a half sacks in this game and he made sure the ref was like, hey, where was that spot? I want that sack on my record because Nick Bosa now ranks third on the entire uh, franchise in sacks. In fact, he's on pace to surpass Bryant Young for the franchise leader in sacks at the age of 31 years old. By the time his contract is done, he should be this franchise leader in sacks, barring injury, mind you, at the age of 31. When you talk about there being nobody else like, or there being a you know once-in-a-lifetime kind of player, that's Nick Bosa. And to give Steve Wilkes more credit, knowing he didn't have Armstead, knowing Hargrave got hurt, We were seeing Randy Gregory play the inside, standing up. We were seeing Nick Bosa play the inside. In fact, on his main solo sack in this game, he was lined up across the defensive tackle, being patient, standing up, just waiting and almost baiting Drew Locke. To rush up the middle. What does he do? He's patient, moves the defensive tackle to his left, jumps to his right, grabs lock, points to the ground, and says, Give me that sack. I want that sack on my box score. He finishes with six tackles, one and a half sacks, one tackle for loss, one pass deflected, and two quarterbacks hit. Clayton Farrell also great in this game again. You got Chase Young, you got Nick Bosa, you got Gregory but you don't have Hargrave and Armstead. Who's going to step up this defensive line, which coming into the game, I stated that Seattle's offensive line played a lot better against Dallas. Only two sacks loud, I believe, in that game, which they had Abraham Lucas back. You weren't going to play a 41-year-old Jason Peters anymore at right tackle. Uh, The Niners' defense in this game had a total of, what was it, four sacks total. Randy Gregory, Kinlaw, Farrell, Nick Bosa, Uh, they were awesome almost all day long, completely erased the run, erased D.K. Metcalf, and didn't feel like the Seattle offense had too much of a punch to it, to a point where San Francisco only allowed six offensive points in the second half to the Seattle Seahawks. Then you can't forget, of course, Jair Brown, who gets his second interception of the entire season uh, one against the Bucs to seal that game. Gets one, I believe, over D.K. Metcalf, where Drew Locke throwing in a triple coverage, forcing the ball to him. Gets a pick in this one as well. He was awesome in this game. And when you lose Hufunga, you question who's going to step up. Jair Brown has had to play the Seahawks in Seattle. Wasn't a factor. Didn't even hear his name. Play the Philadelphia Eagles with A.J. Brown and, and Devontae Smith. Wasn't much of a factor because he weren't saying his name. He was amazing in coverage in those two games. And in this one, I think had his best game of his young career so far, his third career start. You can tell that he's getting better every time he plays. He'll get beat eventually. It happens. It happens all the time. But what Jair Brown is doing, give that young man his flowers as well. This young secondary, Ambry Thomas. Lenore, Jair Brown, uh, when they need to step up, they're getting it done. It's so impressive to watch. Steve Wilks has been coaching his butt off. Um, When guys get hurt, you don't know how someone's going to respond. A handful of defenses just fold. We saw the Browns' defense just one week ago. When Miles Garrett got hurt, the Rams got whatever they wanted against that stout, historic-at-a-time Browns defense. San Francisco's defense was, I don't want to say leaking oil, but they didn't have four starting players on the defense on the field. Hufanga, Armstead, Hargrave, Greenlaw, if five players that would start normally not on the field in the defense didn't miss a step, didn't miss a step outside of a fake screen in which Seattle stole from Kyle Shanahan. I'll take that because the offense was playing at such a high level. There was no concern. There was no concern. And let's get back to the offense here because, um, I would like to think that after this game, the dink and dunk conversation is over with. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, which thank you for doing so, uh, You will know that I have been very adamant about Brock Purdy not being a dink and dunk quarterback, been pretty clear about the fact that Brock Purdy has been one of the best deep ball passers in the entire league. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And sure, there are plenty of plays that are going to require YAC. Yeah, there are plenty of plays that... Uh, Debo Samuels is going to take on the entire defense and run through five defenders and get 35 yards of yak. George Kittle the same. McCaffrey the same. It happens. That's the way football is played nowadays when you have stars like San Francisco does. But in this game, in this game, Brock Purdy, on passes 16-plus yards downfield, he was 6-for-6, six six, 225 yards And two touchdowns. Just look at this team's longest catches of the game. Debo Samuel, 54 yards. Brandon Ayuk, 45 yards. George Kittle, 44 yards. And that's not just because they caught it at the 15-yard line and ran for 35 more yards. It's because the ball was in the air for 30 yards downfield. The Debo touchdown pass, which Debo himself said, I was not expecting to get that ball he was kind of jogging under it, caught it, then it was the Jets' run, and he was towards the end zone, beating Jamal Adams, which, Jamal Adams, yikes. That guy stinks. Anyways, the and Duck conversation's done. Every statistical, analytical column you want to look at, Brock Purdy leads every single one of them. Brock Purdy deep throws this season... 25 for 39, 64.1% completion percentage, 790 yards, nine touchdowns, one pick, 20.2 yards an attempt. He's first in deep touchdown passes. He's first in completion rate and first in yards per attempt. Again, against Seattle one day ago. At Levi's Stadium, 6-for-6, six six, 225 yards, and two touchdowns on passes, 16-plus yards downfield. The dink and dunk is over with. The constant, let's discredit Brock Purdy, should have been done a month ago. But okay, if they lost three games in a row, how is he going to react? Brock Purdy, how he has reacted, has been playing near perfect. <laughs> playing near perfect. Perfect. His one mistake in this game wasn't even his fault. In fact, Brandon Ayuk cost his team two touchdowns, really. Missed a block on the McCaffrey run, which I'll give him that one, whatever. Then then Ayuk fumbles the football late in the game, (laughs) and it probably could have been a touchdown pass of his own. Brandon Ayuk, who, again, is the first receiver since Anquan Bolden to go for 1,000 yards in back-to-back seasons joining Bolden, Owens, and Jerry Rice. Yeah, Ayuk's getting paid, folks. He's getting that freaking bag, and I hope it's here in San Francisco. But Ayuk, miscommunication, pretty throws the pick, and you're like, man, what happened there? Then Greg Olson says, that's on Ayuk. He misses the route. And then you see Kyle Shanahan talking to Ayuk saying, hey, buddy, that's, that's your fault. <laughs> you got to do this instead of that, right? You have to cut in. You have to do your job better, which Ayuk had a great game today. Not, not, not trying to hamper on him. Six catches, 126 yards, and a 45-yard play himself. But the, the dink and dunk conversation needs to be over with. It has to be. Because if you're still looking at the dink and dunk and, and you're still saying that it's only the Yak bros, it's only, you know, all he's doing is giving it to guys five yards out and letting them do the work like Jimmy G would have done. Uh, And that's no knock on Jimmy. You can have a lot of success doing that. We saw it here. What Brock Purdy is doing is not Jimmy G-esque. It's not game manager-esque or like. While Brock Purdy certainly has those traits and can be a game manager, he's everything and more than a game manager. Brock Purdy this year, and I mentioned this earlier this season, when his EPA was equal to or are on pace with MVP Matt Ryan in 2016 under Kyle Shanahan, I want to read you these stats, okay? This is Brock Purdy's 2023 projected 17-game stats compared to 2016 MVP Matt Ryan. Purdy going to play 17 games, hopefully. Matt Ryan played 16 games, okay? Matt Ryan... 4,944 passing yards. Brock Purdy projected to have 4,646 passing yards. Matt Ryan, 38 touchdowns. Brock Purdy on pace for 33 touchdowns. Matt Ryan, a 69.6 completion percentage. Brock Purdy on pace for a 70.2 comp percentage. A rating... Matt Ryan 116.1, excuse me, 117.1, Brock Purdy 116.9. QBR Matt Ryan 79.6, Brock Purdy 74.7. Yards per attempt Matt Ryan 9.3, Brock Purdy 9.9. We're talking about a quarterback which was drafted last, which is a big reason as to why they hold him back in the conversation of MVP or the national media talks poorly about him saying, oh, it's just Brock Purdy, it's the Act bros. He's on pace for who was the MVP six, seven years ago. He's on pace to outplay the best Jimmy Garoppolo year. He is the best quarterback in San Francisco since Steve Young. No, No offense, Jeff Garcia, but what Brock Purdy is doing is MVP caliber. In fact, today, Jack Prescott now leads the MVP odds after doing and playing worse against Philadelphia than Brock Purdy did just one week ago. Brock Purdy's outplaying the NFL's favorite players. Mahomes, not in the MVP conversation. Josh Allen, not in the MVP conversation. It really is hurts, Dak, and Brock Purdy, and Hurts maybe shouldn't be there. He's turned the ball over 16 times. Brock Purdy, like, when you know you have an elite quarterback, when you know that no matter how poorly your defense plays, you're probably still going to win this game, that's how it feels with Brock Purdy, that... Oh, wow, the defense gave up six. Don't worry, we're going to answer with seven right here. Oh, the defense gave up 21. We're going to score 24. In fact, we're going to score 28 and 30 and 31 and 42. What San Francisco, led by Brock Purdy, is doing is historical. And I do think for myself, there was a question, at least coming into the year, of, okay, you have a team like Miami where... They are built on speed. They are the Lightning McQueen of the NFL. They're they're fast. It's just speed, speed, speed. You have Mostert, Devon A. Chain, Tyreek Hill being the prime example of that, Jalen Waddell. They want to beat you with their speed. I predicted San Francisco against Miami in the Super Bowl this year. My question was, how can San Francisco match The speed, face, and go against the speed of Miami. Now, granted, they're playing Seattle in this game, but San Francisco took a page out of Miami's playbook and beat the Seahawks with speed and explosive plays. They had 10 plays over 20 yards in this game. Six of them at the the best of Brock Purdy's arm himself. Like the conversation or the worry of can they can they hang with a, a speed level threat like Miami? The answer now is yes. That was my last concern. Cause they beat the Blitz, they beat man coverage, they beat zone coverage, they beat the Cowboys, they beat the Eagles. My only other worry was can you beat the best offense in the entire AFC when it comes to the the element they play with being blazing speed? San Francisco said, yes, we can. In fact, we will do that against Seattle. We will beat them by maybe not putting together 13 plays, 75 yards, and a score drive. They can certainly do that. We'll probably see it against the Cardinals this Sunday. Against Seattle, they said, forget all that stuff. We'll give you a five or six play yard. We'll we'll give you a two play drive for 75 yards. San Francisco today, or yesterday, kind of put to rest my only remaining concern, which wasn't that big of an issue or bigger, big of a concern, but instead of me sitting back saying, wow, Miami can score on one play, now I'm sitting back saying, San Francisco can score on two plays. Just as easy as Miami. Just as explosive as Miami. And coming into this game... San Francisco already was one of the more explosive, and they leave the entire league in explosive plays, but the element of speed was so different. Whereas in this game, it was like Debo's flying down the field. McCaffrey's flying down the field. Kittle only had, what, three catches, four catches? And he's out there flexing on dudes, averaging 25 yards a pop on a 44-yard touchdown pass. George Kittle is the best tight end in the entire league. He's out playing Kelsey. Mark Andrews got hurt this year. Darren Waller's a non-factor in New York. It's pretty much Laporta, Kittle, and Trey McBride, TJ Hawkinson. Kittle's out playing all of them. He's been amazing. He's been awesome all year long. And there's a reason why San Francisco currently is number one seed. Because they're simply better. Their identity... Yesterday on Overtime with Mark Grandy on 95.7 The Game, he asked me, what separates San Francisco from everybody else? And I pointed to this right here. Many teams going through the tough, grinded-out year, that is an NFL season, you are going to lose players, you are going to have injuries, you're going to find things that work in Week 1 that don't work in Week 14. San Francisco hasn't really had to change who they are. Yes, they lost three games in a row. No one's saying they didn't. But San Francisco is doing the same things they did in week number one against the Pittsburgh Steelers successfully as they're doing in week 14 or did in week 14 against the Seahawks. Go to almost any running play, the one against Pittsburgh, Chris McCaffrey's long touchdown run, You're on the left side of the offensive line, behind Trent Williams. Who's blocking for you downfield? Brandon Ayuk, Ray, Ray McLeod, Debo Samuel. First play of this game against Seattle. What's happening? Running to the left. Who's blocking downfield? Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk. Their identity has not changed because it hasn't had to. It is steadfast. It's proven to work. Week in, week out. Sometimes you just lose games, but more often than not, it's going to be the tried and true formula as to why you win. The Dallas Cowboys have had to change how they play. They've lost certain players. They've tried the screen game. They kind of got away from the run earlier in the year. Now they're letting Dak do his thing. They're winning games. they had to change how the offense was played. The Seattle or, or, or the Philadelphia Eagles run heavy to begin the year. It was working so well. They've gotten away from that in recent games. They're starting to lose games. Look at the AFC, the Chiefs, for a variety of reasons they've lost, but it can't just be on Mahomes. Mahomes isn't the reason they're going to win those games. Their identity isn't there anymore. The Chargers, their offense is nothing now. The Niners... True as can be, the same team as they were in week one, as they are in week number 14. Running the ball behind Trent Williams with Chris McCaffrey, while you see your receivers, Debo Ayuk, Kittle, blocking downfield, freeing up space. San Francisco is the most steadfast, proven team when it comes to who they are at their core. Their identity it isn't a, a system quarterback. It isn't a dink-and-dunk offense. San Francisco is always who they've been with Brock Purdy. Yeah, we can beat you dink-and-dunk. In fact, let's let's go ahead and change that to dink-and-dogs because these boys are some dogs. We ain't got the dink-and-dunk offense. We have the dink-and-dog offense because you getting run through by Debo and Juwan and Kittle and McCaffrey and Ayuk. And you're getting run through by some dogs, Okay. But they can beat you dink and dunk. They can beat you through a 54-yard touchdown pass downfield. You've seen Brock Purdy throw 69 yards to Kittle for a touchdown pass, right? They can also beat you and will likely try to beat you behind Trent Williams while their dogs open up lanes downfield. check Kittle Ayuk Debo, their identity has not changed. They're exactly who they were in week one as they are in week 14, and it's who they're going to be the entirety of the rest of the season. I don't care if it's week one, preseason, playoffs, or the freaking Super Bowl. Who they are is who they are, and there's a reason why they're 10-3 and three and the number one seed in the entire NFC again. Because who they are is better than everybody else at their core. At their core, they are the best team in the entire league. Their identity is number one amongst every other organization in the entire league. Okay, let's get to uh, one of the more funny things that happened this past Sunday where DK Metcalf wants to be a little baby. Someone go out there and find his binky mouthpiece because he's a big baby. Big out, roided out child trying to go out there and grab Fred Warner's face mask, and he's a sore loser. He got the nose ring. He's got the earrings. He thinks he's Dennis Rodman 2.0. 2023 Dennis Rodman thinks he's hot stuff. I'll tell you right now, the fact that Kyle Shanahan, in fact, had promised a Christmas presents to a Niner player who could get under DK Metcalf's skin now I would like to think that was supposed to be a Mooney Ward coming into the game, but I can also guarantee you this, as a, look, I'm 6'2", 220, 30 pounds, right, when a smaller person physically dominates you in basketball, football, whatever it might be, a, a test of physical will, right, you feel ashamed, you're like, man, like, this shouldn't be happening, When a smaller person can bench press more than you and lift more than you, you're like, man, like, I need to get back in the gym, (laughs) right? For DK Metcalf, who was built like a freaking chiseled Greek god, for him to get beat physically by a smaller, more pesty-like cornerback in Lenore to get shut down by that, DK Metcalf got his pride hurt. DK Metcalf, against the Niners... Shut down by Mooney Ward on Thanksgiving night. Then against Dallas, scores three touchdowns. He's thinking, I'm back. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, I'm DK Metcalf. We got this thing on lock. It's over with. Oh, I'm going to go out there in Santa Clara and I'm going to beat up on the Niners defense. And on the first drive, he does that. And they put Lenore back on him and it's over with. DK Metcalf, a non-factor. He gets so angry that once Chase Young... Tips the ball from Locke and gets picked off by Fred Warner. He's like, "I'm so mad!" My, he's like Bane and Batman. He hits the freaking thing on his chest, and the, and the steroids go through his body, and he's like, Rawr. "He's like, I gotta hit somebody. I have to attack somebody." Because he body slams Fred Warner when he doesn't even have the ball, and Fred's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so Fred pushes his helmet to the ground and tries to kind of you know pay him back a little bit. And DK's like, I'm seeing roid rage. All I'm seeing is red. I'm going to grab your helmet. I'm going to grab your helmet with both my hands. And Fred's like, what are you doing? Fred's not pushing him. He's not touching him. He's just standing there. And I'm sure Fred wasn't saying, you're a great tackler. Such a great player, DK. It was almost like Fred was daring him to punch him. Fred was daring him to do something. Because DK was riding an inch and closer to the line of like, they're gonna get tossed out, I'm gonna get ejected. And then Lenore comes over and just pops him once in the face, gives him a little smack, and like all of a sudden, and that was it. He gets tossed out of the game, and it doesn't stop there because, so DK gets tossed out, Lenore gets tossed out, but as he's walking off the field, you see long snapper Tabor Pepper going, bye waving at him as he leaves the field, but it doesn't even stop there because after the game in the clubhouse, Tabor Pepper, who he mocks DK Metcalf, who had been doing sign language, he had been signing stand-on business whenever he scored a catch or, or a touchdown. Tabor Pepper in San Francisco's clubhouse records himself signing 14 being DK Metcalf effed around and found out. Now it's all over social media. Tabor's like, oh crap, (laughs) this is hilarious. San Francisco not only made it a point to get under DK Metcalf's skin, which they did, got him tossed out of the game. You have them actively mocking him after shutting him down for two straight games and then you get him tossed out of the game, and then your long snapped of all people are out there talking crap. It's like Robbie Gold and Jalen Ramsey getting into it. Which, by the way, Robbie Gold, great career, happy retirement, thank you for your service here in San Francisco, but it's like Robbie Gold talking trash to Jalen Ramsey. The Niners' special teams players seem to feel themselves pretty good after a win, right? Whether it's Gold and now Tabor Pepper, but it's funny because... I was sitting there like, wait a minute, where's Don DeSandro? Somebody bring that dude out to San Francisco. Where's our security guards at? Because unlike Philadelphia, our players can handle themselves. We don't need a sideline or a security guard to help us sort our differences. All you need is Fred Warner and a pissed off DK Metcalf and a smaller cornerback in the north who shut down Metcalf all day giving him one pop to the face and all of a sudden it's over with. That was awesome. That was, and the fact that a special teams player is out there talking crap to a former Pro Bowl receiver, it's awesome. It just shows you that even a special teams long snapper, they're not scared of Seattle anymore. And they shouldn't be. They've beaten Seattle five straight times. Seattle, they have new momentum San Francisco essentially wrapped up the NFC West yesterday, grabbed the number one seed once again. And it just felt like from, not the jump, but it felt like even if San Francisco was in a close game, they didn't feel it. There wasn't this urgency of like, if we don't score here, they might come back. It was like, if they don't score, or if, if we don't score, our defense will stop them. If our defense doesn't stop them, then we'll just score. It felt like there was no worry, there was no concern, it felt like an elite team, I don't want to say not taking the Seahawks seriously, because they certainly did, but it was almost as if they knew they were going to win. No matter how the game went, or how insane it was, it felt like, like we just beat you two weeks ago, we just beat Philadelphia, and on the first play of the game we ran 72 yards against your defense. And it's so funny because the the Seattle Seahawks, it's it's so funny because they'll make a stop and you'll see Jamal Adams flexing on the the offense. And the very next play, he's getting burnt for a touchdown. The the Seattle Seahawks are, are one of the funniest teams in the entire league because they have a bunch of guys, a bunch of names that, when they play actual good teams, don't produce, don't perform. And even if Geno Smith played in this game, I don't think it would have mattered. I don't think it would have mattered at all. It, it's just so funny to me. Uh, look to the chats on the side here. We have Bobo saying, we're number one, oh God please, no injuries, especially to the quarterback because that's the one thing that can stop us. And yes, Bobo, let's hit on this here. The only thing, that can stop the San Francisco 49ers from going to the Super Bowl and winning it is themselves. It is injuries and themselves. We saw, maybe outside of the Bengals game, the only thing that can stop them is themselves. Uh, Bobo here again says, The Seahawks fans threw skittles at Navarro Bowman when he was hurt. Every time we smoke them brings me joy. Yes. Yes, it does. Five times in a row, Bobo. Five times in a row. Then we have keep scrolling. I don't know you saying he agrees. Let's keep it going here. Then we have Rick Diaz saying what's going on, my friend. Just came into your show. You're cool. Like the show. Wants to meet me one day in person at, at, at night again, maybe. Look, Rick, I'll tell you what. Uh, During Niner games, I'm at at 95-7 the game hosting a show, but I'll tell you what, uh, we can talk on social media and we can get a meetup going on for you because look, anytime the Niner faithful get together, something magical happens and it likely leads to a victory for the Niners. Uh, He also says here, we can take no team lightly, anything could happen, let's take it one week at a time. And you're right, Rick, you're right, because yes, anything could happen. Anything could happen. You're right. We have seen this team 2019 riding high, lose to the Falcons because Kittle and Breda fumble. We've seen this team have to sneak into the playoffs because they start three and five and then four and four. Anything could happen. But unlike the last couple years, it does feel like that this team is less hampered, less limited by the roster itself. It feels like this team is built to last. Now, again, you have to go out there and you got to get it done. No one's saying you ain't got to get it done. But it does feel like if this team can beat you in more ways than previous Niners teams, maybe it's because Brock Purdy's a quarterback and it's not Jimmy G. Who knows? But it feels like how they're playing. If it's going to be anything to beat them, it's going to be the injury bug, which we saw in this game and they overcame it. Now we're hoping and sitting back and praying that Hargrave and Mooney Ward and Armstead and Greenlaw, they're healthy for the Cardinals game this Sunday. You have to be healthy for that game because Kyler Murray's back, and I believe they're off the bye week, so they're going to have a rested-up team ready to go against San Francisco. But I'll tell you what, uh, this Niners team, it just feels like they're so hot. Like They're not just on fire. They're like that white lightning kind of heat where it's like anytime you touch them, You're getting jolted back 35 feet of like, whew, man, I just got shocked. back, My heart stopped for a second there because they're playing so well. Um, Great win against Seattle. The number one seeded San Francisco 49ers. How does that feel to say? That makes me pumped. It makes me hyped. I am so excited for this team. Week 14 in the books. Just fantastic. Four more weeks of the NFL season. The Cardinals, the Ravens on Christmas Day, that ends the Bird Gauntlet. Then you have the Washington Commanders. Then you have the Los Angeles Rams. Week 18, game 17 of the NFL season. Four weeks to go. Four weeks to hold on to the number one seed. I think this team can do it. It may take all four of those games to get that done, but this team just feels different. We are witnessing history. History. I'm talking one of the greatest offenses of all time per DVOA. Top five, top seven, we are witnessing a juggernaut. I said last week, they're the Thanos and Brock Purdy is the last Infinity Stone. It feels like this team is built to last. They're ready to go, and they're ready To wipe away half of the entire league with a snap of their fingers. Philadelphia is still good. The Cowboys are riding hot. Plenty of teams to respect. The Ravens had an amazing win against the Rams yesterday. An overtime punt return walk-off touchdown. How crazy is that? Can't take them lightly. The Commanders almost beat Philadelphia twice this year. Can't take them lightly. And of course, the Rams. The Rams' playoffs hopes could come down to the final game of the season... Can't take them likely either. So much football to be had. I think there's two games tonight as well. It's going to be a fun end of the NFL season. We have Saturday football this weekend. Going to be so much fun. The holidays are heating up. And I want to ask you to do one thing for me. If you could, like, share, and subscribe to the show on YouTube. If you could, had an amazing turnout for the reaction to the Eagles game Thank you so, so much. Had an even bigger reaction to previewing this game. You guys cared about this game, and it certainly showed in the views. I appreciate it so much. Want to send all of you some love. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate, have a great time with your family and friends, and keep celebrating Niners wins, and hopefully you'll leave me a like. Share and subscribe to YouTube and on the audio podcast platforms. My name is Sterling Bennett saying you can follow us on social media. 49ers underscore access is the X or Twitter. 49ers dot access is the Instagram. If you want to go to a Niner game on Christmas, Levi Stadium, Baltimore Ravens, use that promo code 49ers access 49ERS ACCESS and save yourself twenty dollars off on me for your first purchase at seatgeek.com anytime you can get some free discounts or money it's a good thing enjoy that as a free christmas gift on behalf of myself at seatgeek.com again thank you for watching thank you for listening niners 28 to 16 victory over the seattle seahawks sweep them two years in a row The first time in franchise history that's happened. And the first time Pete Carroll has lost four consecutive games as a Seahawks head coach. And the first time we have beaten the Seahawks five straight times. Soak it in. Number one seed once again. What an awesome time it is to be a San Francisco 49er fan. I'm hyped. I'm pumped. I'm going to go outside and pop champagne. Four games left. Four games to secure the number one seed. We already have it now. Let's hold on to it to the very end again. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Victory Monday. And until next time, stay faithful.